The story of marriage is actually a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is a story about a bride, about us who are so sinful and so flawed and so selfish and so rebellious and so self-involved and so wounded that we just keep turning away from our loving Savior, Jesus. But our loving Savior, Jesus, loves us so extraordinarily that He was prepared to, literally had to die so that He could have a relationship with us. Pour out His life, and He did it with great, great joy because He values us so much. This is the gospel. Welcome back to the Olive Tree Church podcast. If you're new to this channel, we hope you find this content helpful and inspiring. To find out more about OTC, head over to our website or social media channels linked in the description. We hope you enjoy this past Sunday's message. It is great to be with you. When you are scared of a series, you dress in pink. It just makes, it makes life so much better. Anyway, we are kicking this off. I feel kind of weird, but we'll get there. Thank you. Yes, please. Thank you. We are, we are kicking off this series that is for singles, married, divorced, and in between. Uh, everyone, it, it should speak to everyone, but for the first couple of weeks, we're going to do the theory, and we're going to dive into the thinking behind how God looks at marriage, and we're gonna, I'm going to try and shift your perspective of it today. But I, I want to kick it off with this thought. I know this is very un-PC, but have you ever noticed that men and women are slightly different? Any, 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 you're different in every single chromosome of your body. You're different. Every cell is different. And this is especially true in the brain. And the reason I'm going to show you this is because by the end of my intro, most of you should be considering divorce. If you are single, you will be celebrating it, and you will all be thinking, this is a bad idea. That's, that's the goal for the first few minutes. So I want to show a picture of the brain. Now, ladies, I just want, to, want you to know that uh, men's brains are bigger than women's brains. I just want you to know that. But, but just so that you don't hate me, elephants' brains are bigger than both our brains. And that Dorfer. So, so it is not true that men are, are smarter than women. In fact, I was really depressed when I started to realize that actually women's brains work better than men's. It's quite frustrating, but, but it is true. And here's why. Women's brains, in, in milliseconds, like nanoseconds, a thought will cross from that side to that side to that side to that side to that side and back again, and then back, 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 and then to the back and then back to the front in a nanosecond. In the same amount of time, it will go from the front of our brain to the back and then back to the front again. This is kind of what happens. And what that makes is it makes brain, women's brains consistently, they show more coordinated activity between the left and the right, the hemispheres. They have better intuitive thinking, analyzing, and drawing of conclusions. Women have a larger hippocampus, which is where you learn and remember stuff. They have stronger reading comprehension and writing ability, more tuned fine motor skills, more adept at retrieving information from long-term memory, faster perceptual or sensual interpretation, high levels of verbal ability and activity, much, 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 much higher. (laughs) 
And what that means for you is that when a lady walks into a room, she will notice that Greg looks a little bit angry and Sue looks a little bit sad, and she will work out that they had a fight on the way to the event. And she'll see James, and James is looking a little bit aloof, and um, his wife Sue is, is looking like she's also a little bit aloof, and, and she will work out or just kind of start to wonder if maybe their marriage is on the rocks. And then they'll see Justy and Sherry over here, and they're just smiling and happy, and, they'll go, and she'll go, Man, the way Sherry's dressed, oh no, relax. The way Sherry's dressed, the way Jesse is, they, they must just be in really good space. And, and she will pick that all up in about 30 seconds. Now a man will walk into the same room and he will realize the bar's over there and looks open. There's food and the toilet's there and I've got a couple of mates around. That's basically everything we will know. We are different we are hardwired different. Ladies, you know that your, your brains are hotter than ours because you have, that was awkward, but you, you have more blood flowing to the prefrontal cortex, which is like the engine part of the brain. You are processing tons of information all the time, which is actually why ladies are more likely to go into anxiety and depression because you just process so much. It's, I would also be exhausted. It, it is phenomenal. But the major difference between male and female brains is not actually the structure or the size of things. The main difference is the hormones that drive it. In a, in a woman's brain, all of this activity is driven by emotion. And, and that emotion, when, when an event is attached to emotion, it's hardwired into you, which is why, husbands, your wife can remember the fight you had on the 3rd of December two years ago about that thing that you said about what she was wearing. And you struggled to remember, remember what happened yesterday. The truth is, you just, we men, we just care about a whole lot less. That is, that is what is going on. We are so completely different, and it affects almost everything, and it makes marriage interesting. In fact, in fact, the way you see things is different. So how many of you have little boys and little girls? Any, any, any parents with little boys? And little? This, is, this will be your experience. I, I see this pretty much every day. Geordie will walk up to the fridge, the tomato sauce has been in the same place every single, like for the last 10 years, same place, always goes there. And he will look at the fridge. He will stare at it. Wives, you're laughing. You know where this is going. He will stare at the fridge and then he will shout, mom, where's the tomato sauce? And then she will be on the toilet and she'll, be, she'll shout out, Jordi, it's on the right in the second drawer. And in her mind, she's going, is he retarded or what is going on? But you go on a game drive with Jordy, and as he's driving, he'll say, Mom, look, look over there. And he'll point to not this hill, but the next hill. On the top of it, there's like an ear sticking out to the tiny little horn. He'll say, Dasa kudu, like it's over there. Why? Because we are so differently wired to see differently, to think differently, to absorb the world differently. This stuff affects things. I don't know 
how much of you have thought about how hormones affect things. But basically, male libido, male sex drive. This is kind of how it works. It's driven by testosterone. And from 0 to 18, it just shoots. And then when you get to 18, it kind of, kind of ends. It doesn't go any higher for a while. And then, and then what happens is it starts to go down very, 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 very gently, and then you die. No, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> At about 35, it does start to go down. When you get to somewhere between 40 and 45, you have a thing called a midlife crisis, and then, and then it carries on, and then you die. Now, women. Women are slightly different, slightly more complex. They have estrogen and progesterone. And what happens with your sex drive is it kind of slowly goes up and goes up and goes up and goes up and slowly, slowly and goes down then. But then it goes back up. And for one week, one incredible, joyful, unbelievable week (laughs) where men, you pray like you've never prayed before. That is, it is not that time of the month. Yeah. For one week, she climbs over, and then it goes back down. And then she hits this thing called men on pause. It basically, what that means is something happens in her hormones where a knot is tied. And just looking at that tells you that marriage is going to be easy. We, we aren't just different. You know, you think about touchy-feely. Okay, so you watch ladies together, and they, they're like stroke each other. You watch guys together, and if we are not rearranging each other's skeletons, it is scary for us. If you touchy-feely with us and it's not leading anywhere, it is our anxiety is going through the roof. It's just how we want. We are just different everywhere. Now, if you... If you just left the male and female stuff, I mean, let's just move away from that and just look at the differences in people. How many of you are spenders? Okay, let me put it this way. How many of you are generous? <laughs> How many of you are savers? How many of you are prudent? Let me put it that way. Okay, so, so we've got the splasher outers, and we're the lavish, and we've got the hoarders. You know what God does? He goes, let's marry you two. Let's just put you together, make you attracted to one another, and then let's make COVID happen, just like to make it good. <laughs> or think about this way. How many of you are extroverts? Extroverts? All the, all the happy? I don't believe most of you. you you're fibbing. Okay. And introverts? And so, so what God does? He just brings you together. Let's just cause these two groups of people to be highly attracted to each other. Okay, one, one last one, a harder one. How many of you cognitively process? You're thinkers. And how many of you are feelers? You like feel things out. Here's, here's how you know. This is how you know you're a feeler. Whenever you get into an argument with him, with her, they have humongous amounts of words that they throw at you like arrows. And you don't, 
know what they're saying. It just doesn't feel right. And you feel bullied. Okay? How many feelers in the room? Okay. Okay. Now, can you imagine that God would take an introvert and put her with an extrovert who's a saver whilst you're a spender, who's male whilst you're female, he puts all of this together and he goes, you want to be happy for the rest of your life. <laughs> Can you imagine all the reasons that marriage is a really bad idea? All the singles went, yes, amen. Which is what a lot of the world currently believes. In fact, it's, it's so interesting. When I started this church and... Um, Everywhere you looked were single young people looking to get married. The way you could tell is you'd be preaching and he would be looking at her and she would be looking at him. And like, you couldn't really have a conversation with him, but they kept coming back because they were sussing each other out. Well done, some of you got married. I'm, I'm impressed. But uh, the, the thinking was, man, how can I get married? And they were just, how do we get married? Nowadays, people are looking at marriage and going, eh. like 45%. If we study what the states is going through, 45% of people who get married are going to get divorced. Why would we do that to ourselves? And so what you're seeing more and more and more is young people going, let's pursue our career. Let's pursue our hobbies. Let's pursue growing ourselves. Let's think about marriage because marriage, uh, not so sure. I think it's an antiquated, bad idea. And we need to rethink it. That's one group of people. Then there's another group of people, and we're going to deal with this group of people next week. And what they believe is that marriage is very, very difficult, and you will have to go through stuff. But it's okay, because if I find the one, then we will fit like a puzzle piece, because God has put us together. And though it might be tough, and yes, life is is tough, we'll just absorb it, and we'll bounce back, because if I can get the one. And then you know what happens is, once they tell you on the wedding day, man, I have found the one. I will live for this one. It's going to be amazing with this one. Then 15 years later, after she's changed like eight times. Some of you don't believe, You change lots. After she's changed like eight times, he wakes up and he goes, you know the problem with this marriage? I married the wrong one. If I had married the right one, then we wouldn't have got into this mess. If I'd known what I knew, what I know now when I was 23, we would not have got married. You know the problem with both these ideas is both these ideas work on the principle of I get married so that I can be happy. Now today I'm going to pop that balloon and we're going we're gonna to get to a place that I think will give some of you, I was actually, during worship, I felt the sense that some of you are going to be healed today. It's going to be a restoration of your lives, and the pain you've gone through is going to make sense. There's going to be some healing today. But I want to turn to a text, and I'm going to preach from here. It says this in Ephesians 4.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, he's quoting in Genesis, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I, um, a few years ago, went to sit with an old friend of mine. He's in his 80s, and, and uh, his big frame has kind of been eroded. He's a lot smaller now. And, uh, and we went into his lounge, and next to him was his gray-haired darling. She's uh, had a bout with cancer. She's recovered. And, um, and she was sitting there. And the way they looked at each other was just love. You could just feel it. They were, they were so connected, so comfortable. It was, it was beautiful. And though she's older, she's fiery as anything. She's got the quickest wit. In fact, she's darn naughty. And, and she was cracking jokes. And though he's slower, the wells run so deep inside of him that you could actually, you know when you're around someone, you feel like, man, I need to reassess my life. That was, that was what's going on. And they, they sat there on the couch, and we chatted. And as I looked at them, I just thought, I am staring at squad goals. Man, if my life can look like that, I would, that would be beautiful. That's where we want to end. But what you don't know about this couple is that right in the beginning of their marriage, she had an affair. And... She carried on that affair for a while. He found out, and his heart was broken. But he was a Christian at that stage, so he would walk in his garden crying out to God, and he felt like God said to him, I want you to love her. And so he would go and love her, and she would reject him. She was covered in shame, and she, she wanted out of this. It was uncomfortable, and she knew that she wasn't worthy of this relationship. She was running and she's got a quick tongue. She was the cognitive and he was just being battered and he would go and pray. Then he'd go run his businesses. Then he'd come back and he'd love her. Then he'd go and cry out to God and he would pray. And he kept this up month after month after month after month. And then one day, that immense love that he had poured out into his heart by Jesus Christ, began to creep into her soul, and she cracked. And she gave her life to Jesus. And then she began the slow journey of healing. And as she was healing, and he was watching his bride come alive, they began to become potent. In fact, Ten years later, they began to run marriage seminars, and then they began to counsel people, and soon pastors were going to them, and people from all over the city were going to them. As the love of God washed and washed and washed over them, and they healed and they strengthened, and they became a picture of the gospel. You see, 
The story of marriage is actually a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is a story about a bride, about us who are so sinful and so flawed and so selfish and so rebellious and so self-involved and so wounded that we just keep turning away from our loving Savior, Jesus. But our loving Savior, Jesus, loves us so extraordinarily that he was prepared to, literally had to die so that he could have a relationship with us. Pour out his life, and he did it with great, great joy because he values us so much. This is the gospel. In fact, when Paul writes about it, he says this. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The word mystery here, it it can be translated as secret, but not secret that you can't find out. A secret that was designed that you would find out. You, you, You find out some of the secret of the gospel in marriage. God's designed it that way because when God thought of marriage, he already had Jesus dying for his bride in mind. This is what he was thinking. And the thing that makes that relationship that I'm talking about, the thing that makes it so beautiful is just like Jesus who knows our every flaw and loves us anyway, what that marriage had worked through, they had developed a connection that was so deep because they knew every single failure and flaw about each other, but they still went, I choose you. That is beautiful. Now, let me tell you why this is so relevant. Because Tim and I do premarital, and uh, whenever we start premarital, I ask people, so why are you marrying her? And the starting place is usually, Brew, have you seen how hot she is? (laughs) Or it's, man, he is so much fun, or we're just better together. Man, it's just so good being with each other. We just love each other so much. You know what they're saying? He makes me happy. She makes me happy. And I think to myself, soon she's not going to make him. Anyway, I don't say it. Some of you are a little more altruistic. You married so that they would be happy. Because when they're happy, you feel good about yourself. Some of you, you got into marriage, realized, yo, that is hard work but at least I make my kids happy. Now, let me just, because you're a smart lot, so you know those are dumb reasons. Okay, because because let's face it, even if she makes you happy, constantly makes you happy, and you stay in this relationship because she makes you happy, people who live for happiness are selfish people. Agreed? Okay, some of you are like, eh? You're calling me selfish? No, no, not you. Because if you constantly are living for something that makes you happy, then you are not needing to change and sacrifice for anything else, so you are not growing, in which case you are going to be selfish. Now, you might be a nice selfish person. You might still have friends, but you're not going to be connected selfish. 
Those things don't work. You're not going to be my older friend in this relationship. And if you live for the happiness of the other, well, listen, you can hardly make yourself happy. How the heck are you going to make someone else happy? And if you're living for the happiness of your kids, well, that you know this. You're smarter than this. You know that that is one sure way to mess up your kids' lives. In fact, what's appropriate for parenting is a good level of ignoring and suffering. I try to make that happen every day. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, this is what you need to do. He says this in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, submit to one another because, man, he is just amazing to you every single day. It doesn't say, submit to her because you want to make her happy because when she's happy, you'll feel good. It doesn't say, submit to one another so that the kids have a stable family and they can grow up great. It doesn't say that. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word reverence, it's like an overwhelming respect and awe for the beauty and glory of God. That's basically what that word means. It's a big word. Submit, put one another first because of Jesus. To which some of you, like, you got dragged here because you were told that relationship series will sort out all your problems. You're going like, now we've got Jesus involved, ready you and me, like it's getting complicated. This is what this verse is saying. If you want to be happy in the end, make your life and your marriage about Jesus' happiness. Now, let me, let me tell you how this plays out. So about seven years into leading this church, Ames and I were in Cape Town in a car, and she said to me, babe, I can't carry this on. And I said, what? And she said, I can't do the church five nights a week, friends over the whole time, our life completely about the church. I, I feel like I'm called to build a career. I don't want to be like other pastors' wives. I, I don't, that doesn't resonate with me. I don't want, I'm an introvert. I don't want to be out with people the whole time. I can't do stuff at the pace you do. I need space. And she just kept going and kept going and kept going. To which I said to her, in all my incredible wisdom, I said, babe, when we got married, I told you how horrible it was going to be. And I told you not to marry because, because this is where it's going to go. And she said to me, well, stuff changed. And I spent the next two years boxing and fighting and struggling. In fact, it got so bad that the elders of the church said to me, Ross, for the good of the church and for you guys, we are sending you away. In fact, I did so many marriage courses. It was, it was extraordinary how many marriage courses I've done. I, I read the books. I went to the courses. I had counseling. I realized I had counseling from four pastors and five professionals. I just, everywhere I went, I went to counseling. And I remember they sent me on the sabbatical and, and I got to Disney World. You know Disney World, the happiest place in the world? 
And I walked around there resentful and bitter and angry, wanting to kill my kids and maybe her. It was like, this is where it's got to. And this is, this is what kept going through my mind because I'd already counseled lots of people. And what kept going through my mind is, if I do one more course or one more thing, it will fix this marriage. You know, that's why most men only go to two counseling sessions because they go, we have gone to two. It's not fixed. Well, you're laughing, and some of you are the guy. I know, because you came to see me twice. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, this is just getting fun now. And then, as we boxed and we fought and we went on courses, I got left with one thing that carried me through. Can you help me grab these chairs here over here, guys? Um, I realized one thing. I realized that Jesus wasn't trying to fix our marriage. Jesus was, I've got to borrow a wife. Come on, where's your husband? (laughs) Okay, Amy is in kids' church, so Estelle is my wife for today. I realized and this one thing kept me going. Jesus is not trying to fix your marriage for your happiness. Jesus is trying to make you live for the glory of... He looks like Jesus, huh? <laughs> Jesus is trying to make you live for the glory of God so that you will be conformed to the image of Christ, you will look like Jesus because when you look like Jesus, you will love your wife in a way that will bring healing there and joy here. And so what happened was I started to go, Jesus loves me too much to not get me through this. But this marriage problem is not about us. It's about us. And the only way I'm going to get through this is if I hold on to the one who's holding on to me and never lets go, even though I'm wanting to. And so I grabbed on. And I just went, I'm holding on. And I duffed up so ridiculously again and again and hurt my wife. And she, she kind of stayed the same because she was a lot more like Jesus than me in the beginning. And, but... We just boxed, and it was, for people to say, oh, it was easy, and it was, oh, you're a pastor, you worked through it quickly. No, it was harder. I had to preach to you and pretend I was fine. I was in, it was in pain. And all that time, I had one thing. If I just hold on to him, he's going to transform me, and one day I'll wake up, and whether she's changed or not, his joy will be complete in me. Because the purpose of my marriage is not her making me happy. The purpose of my marriage is to glorify God so that one day this will minister to you. I meet so many young people who look at those older people with their scars and pain. And they go, man, I want to find the one so that I can have that. And I want to go, wake up. 
that came at a cost. And I wouldn't trade a minute of the pain I went through with her for someone else. Because all of that pain, you know what it did? It built connection and bonds and love where she could see all the muck inside of me and I could see all the muck inside of her. And we kept going, though right now I don't like you, I choose to love you. Through that process, what was happening is this just became deeper and stronger and more wonderful. So I look at my wife, warts and all right now, and I just go, I am the luckiest man on the planet. And she looks at me and she goes, the oak's okay. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. It's not for your happiness. It's for His glory. And through that, you will touch people's lives. And if you are not in love today, that's fine. Because He's madly in love with you and it'll carry you. I want to say this to singles, because this is for singles. Instead of asking the question, Will that person make me happy? Why don't you ask the question, will that person help me live for the glory of God? And if you're divorced, you know that God says, I divorced Israel in a moment of pain because she cheated on me. God feels the pain of divorce. So if you're divorced, instead of worrying about what the scripture says about can I marry again, can't I marry again, are there certain sub-clauses, I understand that, we'll speak to that. But instead of that, go, how do I use the pain that I went through to be transformed in the, into the image I want to become? Don't waste your pain. Jesus will heal your pain if you grab hold of it. And then there'll be a second shot at life. But don't waste the pain. And if you're married and it feels like bliss, well done. Either that or you. Well done. Six weeks. You're going to go through pain. And it's important that you go through it because it will cement you and it will make you Edible. I actually wanted to grab a loaf of bread and just break it. Because that's what marriage is. It's taking a loaf of bread and just breaking and saying, here, eat from me. Unless it breaks, you can't eat. So let it break. So that they can eat. And if you go to counseling, go for more than one week. It's a journey. God's healing you, not fixing you. I want to pray for you. Is that cool? Can we all, would you mind just standing with me? Church, if we don't get this right, the next generation will be decimated. This thing matters. If you messed up, there's grace, but this matters. We have to get it right.
So Jesus, I ask for revelation. Lord, if something of what I preach can just sink into hearts, I pray for revelation. God, show your goodness and show every person here that you will be with them, you will walk with them, they're forgiven, but you will bring them into a place where their lives can be used like bread. So God, give purpose to our pain and heal us. And use us, Jesus, to stabilize. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, I'll be nicer. God bless.